And I want to speak to you today around the theme, end it. End it. End it. I want you to whack some people around you in every home, every auditorium. Whack five people around you and tell them, end it, end it, end it. If you're watching this alone, if you're on an online campus, why don't you put in the chat, end it, end it, end it. Because here's our question, team. If I am carrying my ending, how do I step into my beginning? If I'm living in my ending, how am I going to step into my beginning? If I'm carrying the hurt of what I've been through, or the pain of my past, or the disappointment of what others did to me, or didn't do for me, if I'm carrying my mistakes or my failings, how am I going to step into what God has? And before we have a beginning, (laughs) here's the truth. There first must be what? An ending. There has to be an ending before there will be a beginning. End it. End it. End it. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I believe that this morning you have ordained. I'm preaching to people today who've been carrying things, living in things, hurt by things, wounded by things, broken by things. I believe that today is Freedom Day. We're not just stepping into a new year, my Lord. We're stepping into your will, your plan, your purpose, and your word is going to be conformed to our hearts, to our life experiences. We're going to choose from this day forward not to live in what our emotions would make us feel, but in your word tells us that we should do. We are followers of Jesus. I declare your freedom day over every person under the sound of my voice in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much, team. I love you so much. We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to start reading today in verse 13. The Bible says, Then David said to Nathan, who was a prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. Wow. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with the Lord for the child. He fasted, and he went into his house, and he spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and they would, he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, and he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, 
he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. Then he went to his own house and he, at his request, they served him food and he ate. And his servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and you wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and you eat. And he answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Wow. This is a dramatic and painful story. It is literally as bad as it can get. This is every parent's worst nightmare. And if you are a parent, you have explored this nightmare at some moment in your parenting journey. Come on, every parent, give me a little wave. They get sick, you take them to hospital, there's a moment where your mind goes to the end. David is living the worst nightmare. Remember that David is a shepherd. He's not just a guy detached from his feelings. He is a worshiper, he is a shepherd, he has a heart, he cares. And the Bible tells us that his son becomes sick and then he dies. Wow. What makes this problem worse is if you go into the backstory of this, you'll discover that it's David's sin that created this situation. Not every situation is created by the problems of the world that we have brought upon ourselves. Sometimes the reason why we're in difficulty or we're experiencing tragedy in our lives is because of what other people did to us. But in David's case, this was his mistake, his sin, his fault, his failing. And out of all the reasons that we experience difficulty in our lives, many of them are not because of what we did, but because of what was forced on us. COVID might have destroyed your business. It may have been your spouse that wanted the divorce. The job simply wouldn't open for you. The market was no longer there. Your friends may have betrayed you. It wasn't you who did anything, but they just turned against you in a moment. But in this one, in this situation, the blame lands squarely at the feet of David. And for us, as we're looking at this text, that's an important understanding. If we're going to dive into this message and we're going to see it right, we need to realize this because if we don't own up to the fact that David's sin created this tragedy, then we're going to miss the power of this message and how it can apply to our lives. I want you to understand, we've got to get it straight up at the beginning of this message. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. If you go back, he slept with Bathsheba because he thought she was hot. And then to cover up the fact that they had conceived a child through their adultery, he murdered Uriah, her husband, so that he could take Bathsheba and make her his wife. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. David had sinned in the most horrible of ways. I want to labor that. I want to make sure that you get that, that you connect with this so that then we can have a correct perspective in seeing this and how it can apply to our lives. It's an important understanding for us to have and if we're gonna respond to the bad things that are gonna happen to us in our lives. 
Because it's one thing to have a negative situation that you did not create and then respond to it. But we're going to dive into the worst kind of negative situation that you can imagine. David created it. David caused it. And now David is reaping the consequences of it. We wrongly think that in order to live in the promise of God's beginnings in our lives, that we need to be good people. Or we maybe think that if we're going to step into a new tomorrow in 2021, that what we need in our lives is to be blameless in comparison to the person that we were last year. I want you to understand that that's bad theology. That to realize what we see in this passage of Scripture is a man who brought the situation on himself through the worst of actions, through the most horrible of decisions. David is now living in a tragic ending because of something that he brought upon himself. And there are people in this room, people in every room, people online today that are living in the middle of tragic endings. Your spouse has left you. Your business is closed. Your dreams are sailing off into the distance. Your life seems so out of line with the aspirations that you had only a short time ago. You're living in brokenness. You're living in failure. You're living in pain and disappointment and betrayal. And it's important for us to understand that we're not going to step into a new tomorrow because somehow in 2021, we get more righteous than we were in 2020. I need you to understand that it's not because you're going to actually download that version Bible app and stick with it every day in 2021. That's going to be the reason why God's going to put His favor over you. I'm actually going to stop watching Netflix at 11 p.m. every night. This is going to be my year of promise. I need you to understand those might be all good things. I would go for 9 p.m. with Netflix. But anyway, I'm a morning person. You have that whatever you want. I need you to understand it is because of the power of the Word of God and the blood of Jesus, we need to understand, even if it's our tragedy, even if it's our failure, even if it's our shame, even if it's our sin, God's not looking at the potential of your 2021 and seeing red marks and faults and failings and reason why you can't. God is looking at you and He is seeing the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of His Son, the forgiveness of the cross, the power of His Word. We got to understand that the only work God wants from us is to believe. John 6, 29, if you have it, chuck it up on the screen. The only work God wants from you is to believe. And so here in this passage of Scripture, we dive into a man in the middle of his tragic ending. And if we don't see that he was the worst of the worst, then it's going to determine how we let things hang around us or over us. We can all find ourselves morally on the upside of David. I may only be preaching to one or zero people who could say, I have done what David did. But even though morally we may be on the upside of David, I may only be preaching to one who has the revelation of David. There are three parts to an ending, three parts, three things that are going to 
be part of our journey of ending anything in our lives. And the first one is that there's going to be a buildup. It's going to come towards us. The second is that there's going to be an event, a moment, the ending itself. And the third is that there'll be an after story. There's going to be a process of events, a horrific situation. Then there's going to be a lasting memory. The ending comes toward you. It happens to you, around you, in you. And then there's how you live with what happened. The hardest endings are the ones where you can see the ending coming towards you. The hardest endings are the ones where what you did began the journey of the ending. And you are now powerless to change what is going to happen over the next period of time. Just remember, team, God's a God of new beginnings. But sowing and reaping is real. I married a saint. If you've ever met my wife, Jillian, honestly, she is godly. Like, this woman loves the Lord. She has Christian character. She prays a lot. You know, she just doesn't let anything unpure become before her eyes. She's just amazing. Like, she is a saint. But when we got married, I wasn't. I'm a blinding choleric with a little bit of melancholic thrown in there, which basically means I'm a strong, strong, strong leader with ridiculously high standards. And I have spent my entire lifetime learning to measure that and channel it in a positive direction. And in the first few years of our marriage, Jillian would be like so full of encouragement, so full of love, and I was just so full of judgment <laughs> and harsh words, criticism. And we've been married for about maybe, I don't know, two years. And suddenly Jillian was different. Instead of like always being positive, suddenly I was married to this woman who was combative and aggressive. And I remember praying and saying, Lord, what's going on? What's going on? What happened to my saint? What happened to my, <laughs> what happened to my mother Teresa? And the Lord just said to me, you're reaping what you've sown. And that was hard. It was powerful. I asked her forgiveness. I began to sow new seeds. But I want to share that story because there are some people that are hearing this message right now. And the ending is rolling through your life because of what you've done. And that's the hardest ending of all. Other times, you're watching something break into your life and it's not your doing. That's, that's tough too. You worked, studied, got into that career. Suddenly, technology replaces the industry. Situations change. And when endings come into our lives, we've got to learn from David. Because if we're going to see anything about David in this passage, we see in him that David did what he could do. The most impacting thing for me about the opening of this passage is that David is told by the prophet, this is how it's going to end. The child is going to die. Yet even though David is told the child is going to die, David did what David could do. I want to speak to somebody in the middle of a situation today, and I want to tell you don't be passive. Act. Respond. Take steps. Don't let it happen to you without doing what you can do. 
Reject the thought that you should be passive. I want to say it again. Reject the thought that you should be passive. Push back on any notion that what God wants for you is just to let it happen, roll over, say, kick me again, Johnny. God wants you to take steps. God is looking for people of action. David fasted. David prayed. David refused to sleep in his own bed. He slept on the floor. He would not have a shower. He did what he could do. I'm here to tell somebody this morning, do what you can do. In your life, do what you can do. David did what he could do. He was not passive. I want to speak to every man in every campus, every, every online home right now. And I want to tell every man, passivity is what brought sin into our world. The greatest temptation that comes to men is to be passive. Let your wife do the finances. I mean, she may be good at it, but you just disconnect. Let your wife raise the children. Sit back in your life. Don't take steps. Don't be involved. Don't be aggressive. Don't have a plan for your life. God is not looking for men of passivity. Who lets a serpent chat with his wife without showing that serpent the upside of their boot? The answer is a man that was passive. And every man hearing this message, I want to tell you, it might be that the situation is too late. It might be that you're encountering difficulty right now. But I'm here to tell you, don't you sit back. You weren't made by God to be a passive bystander on your own tragedy. Do what you can do. Act, move, respond, be decisive, get out of bed, put down something on the to-do list. Do what you can do. Come on, every auditorium, every home, I want you to whack five people and tell you, tell them, do what you can do. Do what you can do. Do what you can do. David did what he could do. But sometimes, even when you've done what you can do, it still happens to you. The child died. The marriage ends. The divorce papers are finalized. The business goes under. The friendship is broken. There's no hope of consolation in sight. Things come to an end. The child dies. David's servants don't know what to do because they've seen David, how inconsolable he was, how desperate he was. They saw his state before the child was dead and so they start to talk to themselves and they're saying, how can we tell, I mean, you saw him. You saw him before we told him. I mean, he doesn't know yet, but you see him now. I mean, look at him. Where is, where is north of that? What's David gonna do? If we tell David that the child is dead, look at him now. If we tell him that the child is dead, what's he going to do? They, they literally said he might do something desperate. That's like code for he might take his own life. And the Bible tells us that David sees them whispering in the distance. So you can kind of get the picture. David is on the ground. He hasn't showered for seven days. He's got his beard now flowing. He's got an odor coming from his body. He hasn't eaten. So he's in a, I don't know, hyperbolic, I don't know, ketosis state. I don't know what he is in. But anyway, he's hungry. He's lying on the ground. He is weeping. He is moaning. He is crying out to God. He has no stretcher. He has no bed. We think we are Christian when we kneel on our plush carpet in prayer. 
David is on probably a wooden or maybe, you know, what do you call it? That, that thing? Stone? It's got a name for it. Slate? Yeah. Granite? Yeah. He's on, a, he's on a stone floor probably. That doesn't sound very comforting. I've got to get back in the emotion of this. I segued. I've got to get back to it. David is in this state where he is at the lowest of the lows, and his servants are all saying, if we talk to him now, what on earth is going to happen next? And David can see them chatting in the distance. So David looks up. He can see it in their countenance. He can see it in the question in their eyes. So David asks the question, is the child dead? Is the child dead? Yes, comes the response. Yeah. Yeah. He's dead. The ending has come. The ending has come. This message today is for somebody who's already had their ending. For the business that's already lost money, for the decision you regret that has already been made, for the party that you went to but you're already gone, already compromised your faith. For the person who's already lost their temper and damaged their relationship with their children. For the one whose divorce papers have already been signed. The relationship that has already gone too far physically and now you feel the shame of it. You've already did what you said you would never do. You've already said what you now regret and it's playing on endless loop in your mind. This message is especially for the people whose ending has already come. My question is, what do you do? What do you do now? Is the child dead? Has the ending come? Yeah. The child is dead. The world in which we live programs us with the responsibility, responsibility, that we should live in our ending. That whenever something happens to us that is tragic or broken, that it will become part of us now, that it will define us now. And David's servants expected that of David. They thought that David would live in his ending. And the reason why I know that this is what our world does is because this is what we do. We define people by their endings. We call people a murderer, an adulterer. We call them a divorcee. We call them someone who is now bankrupt. We define people not by their beginning, but by their ending. Even in the Bible, the commentators did this. I mean, you think about Ezekiel chapter 37, the valley of dry bones. If you've ever read your Bible, the passage begins in Ezekiel 37.1, and it's prefaced by a phrase, a phrase that is not in God's Word, 
It's in your Bible, but it wasn't put there by the hand of God. It's not the inspired Word of God. A commentator trying to give us a a definition of what the passage is talking about calls Ezekiel 37 the valley of dry bones. It defines the passage not by the fact that there was rubble in a valley and God told the prophet to prophesy to the rubble and the bones in the rubble rose to their feet and became skeletal structures and then flesh came on them and then skin came on them and then the prophet prophesied and the wind began to blow and breath came into them and a new living army was there. It's not called the valley of the resurrected army. It's called the valley of dry bones. And in our lives, this is the temptation of our world. This is the pressure, the spirit, the spirit of our world is to try and make people live in their endings. This is what we expect people to do. We talk about a process that is supposed to mean that after something negative happens to you, you should live in the negative of what you've experienced in your life. Well, I'm here to ask the question, not whether that's what the world has programmed you to believe. I'm here to ask you, is that what the Word of God tells you that you should do? Because when I read my Bible, I discover something about David, that David hears that his son is dead. But then the Bible gives us four words in verse 20, verse 20 of our passage, four words, four words I want to share with you today, four words that blow me away. Four words that literally speak into my heart. I want you to know that as a pastor, I've never had a big moral failure, but I fail. I fail often. I make bad decisions. And let me give you a little insight. In the next 10 years, I'm going to make more. And I hope that they're bigger bad decisions than the ones I've made in the previous 10 years. Because we don't grow unless we push ourselves into a place of failure. That's one thing. But what about when I... Behaved one way in a meeting and I wish I behaved another way. What about when I conversed with a person and I made it about me but not about them? We're all gonna have negative situations that are gonna happen to us in our lives. And every time I fail, four words from God's Word come straight into my heart. Four words that I wanna share with you and here they are. In verse 20, the Bible tells us, then David got up. I mean, literally, it came towards him. It happened to him. Now, what are you going to do with what happened to you? And the Bible tells us about David that he didn't wallow in it. He didn't sit in it. He didn't identify himself by it. He didn't make him it. His servants, his servants thought this was going to shape David. That's what they thought. They thought that this tragedy, this setback, this failure was going to shape David, that it was going to define David. They were thinking like most people think, that when you go through difficulty, setback, trial, when you fail, when bad things happen to you, that this is going to define you now. Yet my Bible tells me about David that David got up. He did what? He got up. He didn't stay down. He didn't let it defeat him. He didn't let it become what defined him. He didn't make it his identity. 
I'm here to speak to somebody that's lost some money, had a marriage go south, had a difficult situation, experienced a setback, and I'm here to tell you, don't be defined by what you've been through. Don't let the devil rob your tomorrow. Don't be robbed of your potential because you stay. Don't wallow in the brokenness. Don't wallow in the pain. Get up out of your bed. Get up out of the situation. Get up out of your pity. Get up out of your shame. Get up out of the setback. It's time to get up. Whack five people and tell them, get up, get up, get up. He did what? Read verse 20 with me. The Bible tells us in verse 20 that David got up from the ground. And after he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. Then he went to his own house. And at his request, they served him food and he ate. The boy's only just died. Has the boy died? Yes. Up he gets. Into the shower he steps. He's been covered, covered in it for a week. No bathing. Now he showers. Washes it away. Wash it away. Wash it away. I'm sure when David dragged himself off the ground, it wasn't because he felt like it. I'm not so, I, there's no way David was saying to himself, well, that's over now. He forced himself off the ground. He chose his way off the ground. He denied his emotions. Wouldn't give place to how his feelings made him feel. He stood in that shower. Maybe it was water and tears that soaked his body. But David got the filth of the situation off him. Get the filth of your tragedy off you. Get the filth of your pain off you. Wash it away. Wash your setback away. Wash your shame away. Wash your pain away. Wash your failure away. Wash it away. He washed it away. He put on lotions. He changed the fragrance of his life. Change your fragrance. His odor for a week had been replaced by cologne. He put on fresh clothes. Put on fresh clothes. Fresh clothes always make you feel good, don't they? David didn't feel like feeling good. I want to say it again. David didn't feel like feeling good. But he put on fresh clothes anyway. And then he went into the temple. Come back tonight, I'm going to talk to more about the power of this, about his worship. But I want you to understand that what David did was not something done in private. The adultery was done in private. But the situation is all over the news. This is trending on Instagram. This is viral on Twitter. Everybody knows what David has done. And church is a public place. There are people that have had failures in our church, and after their failure, you just don't see them for a long time. It's not like they're disconnected. It's just that they feel the need to live in what they've done. But David, his boys just died as a result of his sin, now with fresh clothes, before the burial, before the memorial service, before anything has happened, he's standing in the house of God, 
with his hands raised in an act of worship. The ending has come. But David does not live in his ending. This is not what anybody thought that David would do. This is not what your reflexes are going to tell you to do. You're supposed to wallow in your ending. You're supposed to grieve after your ending. You're supposed to be broken after your ending. You're supposed to become your ending. So why did David not do that? Well, in verse 21, his servants asked that exact question. Verse 21, they said, why? Why are you doing this? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. And now the child is dead. You get up and eat. We, can, we just can't wrap our heads around this. In verse 22, David said, well, I did what I could while I could. He said, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept and I thought, who knows, God may be gracious to me and let the child live. But here's two crucial questions for every person that's had a failure, every person that's had an ending. Here's his first question. Now that he is dead, why should I fast? Now that it's over, why would you live in your failure? Now that it is over, why would you camp in the place of death? Is God the God of endings? Doesn't the scripture tells us that he is the God of the living? That he is the living God? Now that he is dead, why should I fast? Question number two, can I bring him back again? Can you turn it around? Is that within your power? Will all this emotion, this self-flagellation, all of this self-belittlement, will that reverse what's happened? Is that going to change it? David, 600 years before the arrival of Jesus, knew more about the grace of God than we do, and we have the whole New Testament. David knew that the ending didn't end him. He said, I'm going to go to the boy, but the boy won't turn to me. He said, I can, can't turn this around. I can only choose whether this, becomes who, what I, whether this becomes who I am or whether my worship does. And friends, what we need to do in our lives is end our ending. My simple message to you today is let it be over. Let it end. Let it go. I was in my office praying this morning and the Lord spoke to me and he said, this message is for people who don't think it's for them. Because there's a whole bunch of people out there who are like, my marriage is great, business never been under. I'm cherry picking obvious fruit of the tree. But you've, you've lowered your dreams. You've had things that haven't gone right. And now you've just lived with a morphed perspective because of the setbacks that you've known. Friendships that look so full of promise that are now so empty and so your life is now not replenished with new relationships, but just avoid lest the pain come into your life again. 
people with dreams that didn't work out and situations that are broken. And here's God's word on this first Sunday that I'm preaching anyway of 2021. Let it be over. End your ending. Let it be over. End your ending. End it. The band are going to join me on stage right now, but Jesus spoke to a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember that passage of Scripture? I'd read my devotions this week, and it wasn't in my first draft of this message, but I threw this in, because this woman is caught in a tragic situation. I mean, she is in the act of adultery. I mean, that's just embarrassing in and of itself. We won't get into that. But then she is then paraded in front of people who want what she has done to now hang over her or to even define what happens to her. And so Jesus says, let him who is without sin be the one who casts the first stone. If you've never sinned, another translation says, then you throw the stone. And one by one, everybody leaves. And finally, the woman is in her ending. The woman is in her shame. The woman is in her pain. And Jesus says to her, Woman, where are they that condemn you? Man, that question is powerful. Can you imagine how she must have been feeling? Can you imagine how David must have been feeling? Oh, you've seen David's reaction, but I now want you to see our Savior's instigation. You've seen what David did because he understood grace. Now I want you to see the administration of grace. Where are they that condemn you? Is this over you? Is this you? Is adulterer forever who you are? Is that you now? Where are they who get to say that what you've done makes you worse than them? Where are they and let this ending become your identity. And the woman said, there's no one. And Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. I could, but I don't. It's over. He said, it's over. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's over. You know what's amazing about a new year? Why I love new years? Because when we step into a new year, we get excited and we say, well, I'm not going to be the person that I was last year. Are you like that? Like I've had to spend my lifetime downscaling the number of goals that I have for each new year. The, the, the increment of change that I expected of John, 25-year-old John, is so much greater. What I would aim for is so much greater than what I now aim for at the beginning of 2021. I have shrunk my expectations of myself. But what I love about the beginning of a new year is that we believe, we believe because we're stepping into a new year, that, th that things in our lives can be different. We believe because we're stepping into a new year that we're actually going to get our social media usage under control. We're not going to binge flitch 
binge watch Netflix. We're going to manage our finances well. We're going to go to the gym every day, read our Bible every day. We're going to lose 10 kilograms. This is what we all do at the beginning of every year. Don't look at me like you don't believe it. You do it. I know you do it. This is the Lord speaking. It's not. I'm joking. But anyway, this is what we do. We give power to the beginning of a new year. The truth is there's nothing special about a new year. I need you to understand that your life was the same on December 31st as it was on January 1. Did anybody here wake up at the beginning of the new year and suddenly you had a better complexion? Anybody here suddenly find that you were more tanned than you were on the 31st of December or that your people treated you better? Like they thought that you were a saint when the last year they thought you were a sinner. The truth is there's nothing that is different. You've got the same job, the same house, the same car, the same spouse, the same role, the same everything. But you put a line in the sand and you said, I'm going to be different in this new year because the old year is over. Well, the only reason you think that is because you gave that line in the sand power. Well, here's the truth of God's Word. Because of Jesus, we now live in what is called the season of the eternal now. That means because of Jesus, every day is a new day. Every moment is a new beginning. We don't live in the past. God removes your fault. God removes your shame. God removes your sin. He cleanses you. He frees you. He restores you. He blesses you. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. So I'm here to tell you, give power to your life. Give more power to your life than you give power to a new year. Jesus is on the inside of you. Come on, if you believe in every campus, stand to your feet and give God some praise all over this room.